Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Sexton trying to get loose. He'll fire. He knocks it down. Carl slammed it home. Garland upstairs. Oh! Sexton inside. A thunderous dunk. And Allen blocked the shot at the rim. Welcome to the Chase Down Podcast, part of the Cavs Media family. I'm your host, Justin Rowan. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Zoom. Half a million businesses connect using Zoom, a single platform for phone, chat, workspaces, events, apps, and video. Zoom enables real-time collaboration for teams around the globe. Zoom, how the world connects. And connecting with me now, live via Zoom, is my co-host, Carter Rodriguez. Carter, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. I am coming off um, a weekend trip to Orlando, just just scouting out the area before the Cavs head there, um, and uh, took took the baby to, to Disney World for the first time. Uh, had an altogether wholesome weekend, but I still managed, despite all the jokes, despite all the slander about my commitment to watching this team, in spite of my, you know, much to the probably much to the chagrin of my family and friends around me, I still watched both Cavs games over the weekend. So I was prepared for this podcast. So you are trying to convince us that you are committed to this team when you left Orlando before the Cavs play in Orlando tomorrow. Is that correct? Barely barely a scheduling snafu here, Justin. (laughs) You know what? You could have managed that better, but it's okay. Uh, The Cleveland Cavaliers, since we last recorded, went one and three, which all things considered, I'm I'm pretty okay with it. I, I mean, the the win against the New York Knicks was incredibly important from a scheduling standpoint. Uh, the Atlanta Hawks and Dallas Mavericks have both been playing really good basketball lately, and uh, I mean, they do that to some of the best teams in the league. Forget uh, the the Cavs in their weakened state, but. The Cavs did uh, end up dropping a very frustrating game against the Philadelphia 76ers with Joel Embiid, with James Harden. Uh, we were hoping that maybe that that would be a rest game for those guys, but uh, they, they when it counted... Cavs haven't gotten many of those this season. No, they, they, no, they haven't, but they have got a lot of apologies after those kinds of games, so that's kind of <laughs> nice. <laughs> Justin, I'm going to push back a little bit um, I actually because I actually think it paints a better picture about the team uh, heading into this, these final three games, because I think that against the Mavs, they played okay and got donchiched. They, you know, they 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 got wrecked by an elite, elite, elite talent. I thought the Hawks game was one of the worst of the season mm-hmm. from an attitude uh, perspective. They seemed completely beaten down. Felt like their heart was never really in that one, and they got run off the floor in pretty short order. So to see them come out against New York, kind of rediscover their mojo a little bit, um, kind of a wire-to-wire winner, mm-hmm. uh, and then go and give Philly the game they gave them, despite all the things that you know drove us crazy. I actually think, in a way, that's kind of better because I, I won't lie to you. Just you know, we've talked about it about swimming upstream and how they've had to do it for so long, and how. You know, part of my concern has been like, you know, when do you just, when do they just run out of gas? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if, if you were of a certain mindset, that Atlanta game might have been the indicator of, you know, the, of the tap out. Yeah. And they didn't. And, and again, the, the next game was huge to win. 
it it's a terrible shame they didn't win the the Philly game because it really would have secured their place in, in the seven spot. Pr- pretty much, yeah. But you know, like ultimately, I thought that much like their last loss to Philly, um, uh, maybe the loss prior. It was the no, loss. It, prior. it was the last one. It, the the okay. last two have been in Cleveland, and both kind of came down. Yeah, to- after the Raptors game, and uh, and th- that was the two game stretch where I was like, okay, they're back. And then, of course, both their bigs got hurt, and then everything kind of fell apart again on them uh, due due to injuries. But like again, it felt like an encouraging loss to Philly for me. Yeah, I agree. And uh, I agree with your assessment of the Hawks game as well. It it did feel like their confidence was kind of shaken. And I think there was actually parallels between the Lakers game, the Mavericks game and the Hawks game where Mobley was in foul trouble. A lot of the Lakers game, he just flat out didn't have a great game either on the defensive end of the floor. So you were left in a position where you didn't have a lot of front court players that were plus defenders. And when you're playing against someone that has the passing vision of LeBron James or Luka Doncic or Trey Young, every one of those lapses or slow rotations is going to be punished. And and Dallas especially, they were playing five out a lot of that game. And when the only front court player you have that is a plus defender is Lamar Stevens, and he's trying to D-up Luka or he's trying to D-up Trey Young, that can be quickly exploited uh, as soon as that screen comes. And if it's Dorian Finney-Smith uh, playing five out and, and stretching the floor there, like Atlanta did the, the same things to us as it did to Brooklyn. <laughs> uh, and, and like they've been playing really good basketball lately. So it really felt like a shift from the Cavs are more than the sum of their parts to the Cavs not having enough parts. And I, I think without Mobley and Allen, some of whether or not they're going to be competitive is going to be matchup dependent. Uh, I think the Knicks and even the Sixers, to some extent, were easier matchups because those teams don't necessarily have the ability to go four or five out like some of these other teams. Uh, but I, I definitely agree that it does feel like they started to find a little bit more of their chemistry. They're learning to make the adjustments they need to to play shorthanded. And I, I think that that is a positive sign because really, what at the end of the day, when this season is over, how they respond to these losses, the adjustments they make, and the experience from each of these games matters more than any of the individual re- results. Whether they make it to the playoffs themselves, uh, w- whether they g- are competitive in a series, whether they're knocked out in the play-in, what they learn from this stretch matters way, way more to the long term of this team. Because th- at the end of the day, this is still a developmental year. Yeah, I, I was kind of wondering, in your opinion, should they be better than they are right now um because one part of your brain goes well yeah they're missing their best two players but they've they you know lots of teams are down two players and they're 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 still winning games mm-hmm. at a decent ship um or does the fact that they're both their you know their starting center and their backup center functionally and mobley uh, along with their starting power forward kind of tilt the scales because i've just i've been trying to figure that out myself lately i i think it tilts the scales because it Honestly, like even if they had Dean Wade, that's a front court player that is a plus defender. Like Moses Brown, I, I really like the energy he's bringing. I, I think what he brings in the pick and roll really opens up the game for Levert and Garland. I, I don't think it's a coincidence that Levert started playing better as Moses Brown was getting more minutes. But when you don't have the the front court personnel that are plus defenders, you are going to be vulnerable. I, this I, I know coming from me. This is going to sound like shade, but the difference between the Cavs without Mobley and the Raptors without Scotty Barnes is the Cavs don't have anyone else that does what Mobley does defensively. Mobley is really filling a need, whereas the Raptors have a lot of guys that can do exactly what Scotty Barnes does. Like they all they have is six, nine versatile defenders that can guard all five positions. The the Cavs don't have another Evan Mobley in waiting that can, you know, go out there and just fill in that exact same role. And uh, as much as Moses Brown can replicate some of what Jared Allen brings on the offensive end of the floor, you still see he misses some dunks. He doesn't have the same timing on the defensive end of the floor. He can get lost and all of a sudden his back is to the ball. Like he's a very, very raw prospect and probably also a very helpful reminder of this is what centers typically look like in their early 20s on the defensive end of the floor. They don't usually look like Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. Yeah, you're you're 100 percent right. Um, those two are 
very, very smart defenders. Um, which like it's funny because I that's something I talked about uh at the beginning of the season with Jared is like, can you get from guy who can block shots to a legitimate deterrent? Um and again, snuffing out actions before you know, snuffing out shots before they happen. And you know, you can really see the leap he's taken just by contrast. Mm-hmm. Um, because ultimately you look at what this current um team is missing, it's that deterrent. And uh they they are very, very, very reactive right now. Um yeah. they're often put on the back foot. Sometimes they're able to scramble out of it, sometimes uh sometimes they're not. And you know, I do think that that I to be clear, I think I agree with you. Um, you know, because like part of me is like Am I being excusey? That's really what I'm trying to evaluate. Is and I, I was trying am, to. Am I being a baby? Am I? Am I not? Am I cutting the team too much slack in terms of you know just blunt, pinning a lot of it on injuries? But it's just so hard to lose such a vital position group. And as I've talked about a lot of times, in my opinion, the very identity of the team in that pairing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the Cavs' identity is funneling offensive players into their defensive guys and then using those stops to get out in transition uh like just kind of build upon that momentum and that's where those avalanches start right where it's mobley and allen getting the stops uh them either bringing the ball up the the floor themselves in the case of evan mobley and uh using that to generate offense you can't do that right now And, and frankly like they don't even have necessarily like the three and D wings that can slide over to the four. And all of a sudden you're playing like a small ball where we've, we've got all these guys that can maybe fill in in that role, like a Memphis Grizzlies have, right? It's really just Lamar. <laughs> it, it really is just Lamar. And like when, when you're talking about the two guys on this team that are really kind of three, four, just in a vacuum, good defensive players and, and can defend on an Island. It's Lamar Stevens and Dean Wade, and you're missing one of those guys. And it's crazy to say that about your two undrafted players, whereas Lowry Markinen and Kevin Love, they have played with effort and like they've played in the right positions defensively, but they have physical limitations when they're out there defending in space. So I was going through the same calculus as you trying to figure out, okay, Am I cutting them too much slack? Like, what what are kind of the adjustments that I would go out and make? One thing I suggested was going into the Knicks game, I tweeted out, hey, maybe this is a spot where you want to go to Ed Davis, because then at least you have a higher baseline on the defensive end of the floor. You know he can set screens. Uh, Luckily, J.B. Bickerstaff knows more than I did, and that was a matchup where Moses Brown was able to be more effective, especially when you're not going up against Uh, like a great uh, playmaking guard, like RJ Barrett can pass, but he's not like Luca or Trey Young or LeBron. Same with Emmanuel quickly. And Tyrese Maxey wasn't able to be as effective as he has been in past matchups because JB Bickerstaff made a very smart adjustment of putting Isaac Okoro on him to start the game. Yeah, I I really did see that as well. And it, it was actually, I feel like that was one of my big takeaways is, hey, we finally slowed that little guy down because he that was he that, he was the reason they lost the first the last couple of meetings yeah. legitimately. Obviously, Embiid is Embiid is Embiid, and he's going to get his thirty to forty points. Uh, and especially without Jarrett and Evan, it's going to be an even more uphill battle. But you can't let Maxi kill you. Yeah. Um, and and frankly, like at this point based on what Harden is in terms of his explosiveness on the ball, it kind of makes more sense to throw Okoro at him, especially in this stretch where Lamar is still playing big minutes and you can, you can, you can kind of split the difference. And if this results in Philly being the team, the Cavs face in the first round, like I, I think that that's something you go to because reality is if James Harden doesn't have the ball, he's going to stand around. And he's less of a threat to back cut Lavert and, you know, kind of expose some of the lapses that he may have on that defensive end of the floor. So I thought putting Okoro on Maxi was a real smart thing. Uh, it, obviously, the f- normal frustrations from playing Philadelphia were there. Uh, it's frustrating that anytime there's a lull, they can just throw their body into someone and get a call, uh, especially when, hey, you're down 10 and this might get away from you. And uh, I mean, every team goes through those lulls and I wish the Cavs would be able to do the same thing. But I mean, it's what I hate about those games is I, like I understand 
that the name on the back of the jersey can dictate some of that stuff but like it's just so frustrating to to go through those kind of stretches where hey this is your fourth game in five days this should be a schedule loss even if you're fully healthy and philly was in a very similar situation with their third and fourth games but at the same time like you go out there you earn it and the last two minute report comes out once again and says that Darius Garland was fouled, which was very obvious in, in real time. And Larry Markinen was grabbed uh, by James Harden prior to the ball being inbounded. Two calls that could have dramatically changed the outcome of that game, and it didn't go their way. It is obviously frustrating. Last two minute report already confirmed what we what our eyes told us that you know the, the calls were blown. I mean, JB uh, was about as vociferous as we've heard him all season, mm-hmm. um, saying, hey, the refs took that game from us. Well, the, um, the worst part is there wasn't a call made on either of those plays, so it wasn't challengeable, which, which yeah. made it even more frustrating. Yeah, it it was it's frustrating. And, it's, and you know, it, the it's, again, an uphill battle, and they're probably going to need a little help just because two of their last three games are against such tough competition in Brooklyn and Milwaukee. Now, they should be able to beat either of those teams on any given night, especially if they get Evan and Jarrett back uh, already ruled out for Orlando, but you know, they got, they would now have four full days um, of healing uh, to, to go play Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, it's going to be tough. I mean, Atlanta's right on their heels. Charlotte's right there too. I think Brooklyn, you're pretty safely out. I mean, they're up two and a half on, on, on Brooklyn. It's really just Atlanta at one and a half that we have to be really afraid of. Mm-hmm. Atlanta has the tiebreaker, right? Yeah, so Atlanta has the tiebreaker, and Charlotte would have the tiebreaker because by merit of, like, if they were able to catch the Cavs in the win department, that means they would have a better record in conference. So the, there's no real way to have the tiebreaker. It's just uneven scheduling there. Um, basically, if the Cavs, obviously the Orlando game is basically a must win. Like, you you have to get that game, even with Jared Allen and Evan Mobley being ruled out. Uh, you you have to feel better about it now uh, that the Cavs are are kind of adjusting to to life without those guys and, and finding ways to win. Uh, Garland and Lavert playing better together, I think, is one of the more significant developments we've seen over the last week. Uh, but assuming you get that Orlando win at that point, um, you if you only have one win, Atlanta needs to go two and two in order to stay in the seventh seed. And they play Toronto, Washington, Miami, and Houston. If the Cavs only win the Orlando game, Charlotte and Brooklyn can go three and one, uh, and you would still stay in the seventh seed. But if either of them runs the table, which Brooklyn does have a, a relatively easy schedule, obviously the head-to-head against the Cavs might end up determining that. Um, but if the, those teams go three and one, if they drop one game and the Cavs get a win, they stay in the seventh seed. So uh, obviously there's still a relatively wide range of outcomes. Um, these teams don't play one another, so it's possible you get multiple things. You might have Atlanta run the table or go three and one and, and Brooklyn runs the table and, and puts the Cavs all the way down to nine. Like you can't rule anything out. And, and that's why that Philly game is, is so frustrating. Um, but they are still in control of their own destiny, which is important. I mean, two wins basically would lock up this seven seed. How much does it matter to you that they hold on to seven? I mean, it's my preference. Um, I think it's really important. They are not the same team on the road as they are at home. Well, you you don't want to be in a scenario where you're playing game one against Atlanta in Atlanta, that's a, a tough environment. You're not going to be, you're, you're not going to be at your best because it's going to take an adjustment period to once again play with Mobley and Allen. Um, and if you lose that game, I would assume you'd host a, a game against Brooklyn. I mean, anything can happen in a one-game setting, but that is a very, very tough road. And and again, um, it's it's frustrating that they're in this situation. I, I think everyone understands that injuries are a primary driver of this. And I don't know about you, Carter, but it's kind of left me feeling bitter the last couple of weeks. Like, I, I understand that this doesn't have any significant impact on the long term of this team, but it's just really frustrating to me, uh, just like on a personal level to have, okay, this is the the fun, foul money season, uh, but before any of the expectations come, uh, it, it's all about the learning experience. It still is developmental year. Let's learn, see them go through these adjustments and, and clear these hurdles. 
it's frustrating to go from all the success they've had to put in this situation as a result of injuries. Like it, it, I know, I understand it's valuable experience, but at the end of the day, like I still have to sit there as a fan and be frustrated knowing that a lot of these results would be different if the Cavs had their full supply of guys. Justin, it's like we've always said the plan was a terrible idea. No, I honestly, I'm just I kidding. Still, I'm just kidding. Even, even if the Cavs missed the playoffs yeah. as a result of it, I think this experience over the last couple of weeks is so valuable to this team. I, I think it's worth it. I, I honestly, honestly do. I, I think well, actually, I, I want to better. I want to talk about worth it um, as as a concept because I got into a little interaction uh, with a member of the Heat Beat Squad, uh, Hot Take Harry. Oh boy! And I was complaining about the call um, in last night's game, uh, and you know I mentioned it was a crucial uh, game for the Cavs, and he mm-hmm. said, "Is it crucial if you're losing in the first round anyway?" And I said, "I'm not trying to be a jerk, but the call hurts a lot more if these were the first half Cavs." And I said, uh, "You know, uh, first off, you are trying to be a little bit of a jerk," and he acknowledged that. Yeah. Uh, but I said, you know, making the first round still matters. I think it matters that these guys get reps in a playoff environment because next year, which is going to be a year with much more expectations, I really don't want to see them getting shell-shocked in the first round because they, they, they're they all of a sudden experiencing playoff intensity for the first time. Mm-hmm. And and then he kind of mentioned, like, you know, I don't think getting swept is that that valuable. And But I really want to kind of fixate on the him saying that the call hurts a lot more if this were the first half Cavs. And I wondered, in your opinion, has the team's playoff ceiling this season changed that much if everyone's there? If, um, if Mobley's back and not limited, if Jared's back and not limited? I think it changes a bit because if the Cavs are in the top four of the Eastern Conference, uh, you are likely getting an easier opponent. Like you might be getting Chicago, you might be but, getting Atlanta or Charlotte. Then let me reframe. Yeah. Is their on-court potential just as being a good basketball team lower than it was in the first half of the season? I I mean a little bit because um, you've lost Colin and you lost Ricky, and I, I think no matter what, that was going to have an impact on it. Um, I still stand by what we said at the end of January when the Cavs were tied for the most wins in the Eastern Conference. This is still probably like four years away. That's just the reality of the NBA. Like your primary guys are are still very, very young. Uh, A lot of these guys are younger, like Darius Garland, Evan Mobley, uh, Isaac Okoro. Some of these guys are younger than the players in tonight's championship game in the NCAA. Like uh, it's a learning experience. So I, I don't think... I don't think it's shifted in a dramatic way. Like I, I still think there are ways away from contending and there's a lot of lessons you need to learn, but at the end of the day, like there is still uh, a shift obviously with those guys going out. But the one thing I'll note is I think you're going to be getting that experience no matter what, because when you're playing a one game playoff scenario, you're basically facing a game seven against a team that's been there in the Atlanta Hawks or the Brooklyn Nets. Like, and especially if you play both of those teams, you are going against teams that have that experience and you're going to be playing against that level of intensity. And if you and I are bitter that the the season went this way, imagine how the Cavs players are feeling because these are all hardworking guys. And I guarantee you every single person on an NBA roster is more competitive than you or I am or yeah, anyone listening to this podcast because of what it takes to actually make it in the NBA. Uh, like it, sometimes guys will stand out relative to their peers, but these guys have put that work in. So I, I, I think this experience, no matter what, it's going to be fuel for them next year. I'm, I'm still somewhat optimistic if Mobley and Allen get back that they can give these teams a run for their money. But I, I don't think that there was like some dramatic shift. I think that growing pains were going to be coming up at some point this year, no matter what. I don't think I care about their mentality I'm I, or their fuel. I'm not that that's not interesting to me, mm-hmm. frankly. What's interesting to me is, OK, I've played Eric Spolstra in a seven game series mm. and stuff that worked for me early in the series isn't working anymore. How am I supposed to get through that? Yeah, that's the kind of thing that I want to see out of a first round series. Um, 
if they don't win a single game, I still think you learn a lot by going through that grind of of intensive game prep, intensive, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like serious tendency learning, mm-hmm. uh, serious scouting, um, adjusting to that scouting being done to you. That's what I care about. I'm not worried about their motivation. Mm-hmm. I know that they have they have plenty to learn and that they're not that close. And and that's why I do v- very very passionately want to see them find a way into the playoffs um, uh, and win one of these two playoff play-in games. In terms of their ceiling, I actually think they are. They should. And, and I think when most people are talking about first half Cavs, they're actually talking about the post Colin injury Cavs, mm. um, just because that it's been such a part of such an extended part of the season without him. Like, and I think that this team. Ricky has definitely been better than Karras, but not in a way that if I thought the team had a legit chance to really bother one of these good teams in the second round mm-hmm. uh, through two and a half months ago, I think that logically I should still feel the same way. Mm-hmm. I, I think this team has all the pieces to, to be annoying to, to, to a really, really good team. As you noted correctly, they are much less likely to get a cupcake in the first round now that they're not a two or a three seed. Yeah. Um, but by the way, they were probably never going to get a cupcake because all these teams that leapfrogged them were the five, six, seven seeds prior. So yeah. I, I just think ultimately, like, I, I think that this team should not let the last month diminish their expectations of themselves. I think this is a team that could absolutely take two, three games off. Any of these top four seeds, probably with the exception of Milwaukee, because I think they're an absolute buzzsaw. Mm-hmm. But every this is not the old days where if you're a top seed, you are just like nigh unbeatable. Yeah. Like every single one of these teams has really interesting flaws, pretty much except Phoenix. Yeah. And I and those weaknesses can be exploited. We are in the post super team era, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Because there are no perfect teams and imperfect teams get beaten all the time. Yeah. No, I, I, I think that's really well put in. Like, it's going to be difficult. Uh, it's going to be difficult reintegrating Mobley and Allen. Uh, it's positive that they're traveling with the team. As our buddy Evan Damerall mentioned, teams don't have players travel with them unless they're ramping up, getting ready to play. So I'm personally like optimistic that, Hey, maybe we're, we're going to see them on Friday against Brooklyn. And I think that would be great, but there's going to be an adjustment period to that. And I, I do think the adjustments they've had to make on the fly this year really, really matter. Uh, I think Garland learning to navigate all this stuff is going to pay off dividends in the long term, And I'm just hopeful that they get the experience, but I got to tell you, man, like that's, the, the the bitterness I feel about being in this situation when I feel like if they were healthy, it would not be this way. It's bringing out all my worst tendencies as a fan. I'm, I'm Oh, sitting, is it Justin? It, it truly is. Like I, I'm sitting there and like, it's, it, it's the stupid stuff of like the, the mentality of always being in kind of one of those cursed sports cities or one, one of those overlooked, uh, you know, flyover towns like, like Winnipeg is. I'm, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, the name on the back of the jersey matters too, but it feels like the name on the front of the jersey matters and just all the, the kind of fan stuff that uh, I try to polish out uh, when we go on air on the podcast just starts seeping in. But at the end of the day, I want Philly. Give me them, Carter. Give me them. Uh. Uh, I, Justin, I want the we playoffs. We can't belabor the Philly. point. We can't belabor the point any further. But no, I we, I don't want it for you. Though a lot of people share your sentiment. I'll tell you that much. A lot of Cavs Twitter errs are like, no, we can beat this team, oh, and yeah. there there is there is uh, some fun to be had there. We should talk about a guy who's been you know pretty maligned uh, uh, early in his Cavs tenure, and Karis Levert, who in his last five. He had 17 against Chicago, really strong game. Um, then Orlando had his worst game of the year where it felt like, oh, man, we're really dipping down at mm-hmm. eight points on 15 shots. Then he was Dallas. good in the fourth quarter, though. I think he found a little bit of something in the fourth quarter. Maybe. Uh, he had 32 against Dallas, uh, nine in the Atlanta stinker where no one played well, 19 against New York and 18 against Philly. Really carried them in the first half against uh, against Philly. 
Mm-hmm. What are you seeing from Karras? Do you think he's getting more comfortable? The big number that's jumping out to me is straight up shot attempts because he's mm-hmm. playing big minutes and getting his shots up. And I think he's looking a lot more comfortable. And then also the assists. Yep. Yeah, I I, I really do think it started in that fourth quarter against uh, Orlando where it just seemed like he was starting to get a little bit more decisive, um, d- drawing the attention of the defense, uh, the drop-off passes and the pick-and-roll, all all the, the kind of stuff we've seen over the, the last four games. I think it started in that fourth quarter against Orlando. And one of the biggest things for Karis LeVert is I think he's simplified his game. Like, there's less dancing with the basketball. It's make a couple moves and go. If it's not there, give the ball up and let's reset. Um, I, I've been – obviously, some of this is just – He's getting comfortable. He's getting back in game shape. All the stuff that we noted uh, when he missed that time. But I, I do think he is getting more comfortable. I, I think him and Garland are learning how to play off one another. And really, that's one of the more significant things because we're in the, this play-in situation. Uh, the, the chance to really move up to six probably went away with that Philly loss. So we're, we're in this reality. We're going to be playing for our lives at some point next week. We need Karis LeVert to be at his best. And I think steps towards that is really, really meaningful because if we're going to have the firepower to beat some of these teams, you need consistent offense for 48 minutes. And the fact that J.B. Bickerstaff is playing Garland and LeVert together and kind of using LeVert as the de facto backup point guard at times, I think that gives them the best chance to have sustained offensive success. I do think that the backup point guard era is probably over. Uh, now that Rondo's back, he is mm-hmm. definitely back in the rotation. Played 14 minutes against Philly, and I thought it looked pretty solid. Um, made a few really nice passes. God, yeah. he he makes some passes even Darius can't make. Like, oh, yeah. just in terms of the way he puts English on the ball. God. Um, but, you know, ultimately, I just think, I think you really nailed it. That putting, kind of putting him with Moses a little bit more and giving him a downhill threat that can screen for him. Uh, with some like he's not known like the the kind of the book on him was can get tunnel vision but can make the first pass yeah he's not an excellent skip passer he's not gonna pass guys open but he can make the first pass and that's what a great vertical threat does for you <laughs> it's just right freaking there in front of your face he's a and, very good pick and roll ball handler right yeah and I and I think that he is getting one or two steps deeper on his floaters. Uh, you know, 15 footers are becoming 12 footers, eight footers are becoming five footers. And when you're as big as he is, a five foot floater is literally just a layup. That is, <laughs> that is not a floater anymore. You know, when you, when you actually have wing size, I mean, we see a guy, I mean, obviously not comparable players, but we see guys like Doncic kind of get into that, that, you know, short middle ground. And it's just so easy for them because they can just rise above whoever's guarding them and just put it up with touch. So I, I feel like he's getting to his spots a lot better. And there's just, to your point, a lot less dancing and a lot less just starting possessions from scratch. Yeah. Yeah. And I definitely feel like uh, Moses Brown has helped a lot. I Man, if Moses just got a few of those lobs to go down or finishes in tight, like it, it could have been a different outcome. And as frustrating as it is uh, to have those calls go against the Cavs, once again, they could do a lot still to not put themselves in those positions and make their free throws and uh, make those in close shots. Like it, it might just require, hey, you need a higher level of consistency. And I, I think that's going to be one thing that I'm taking from this season is, uh, especially for the the first like 55 games or so, the Cavs Model came out of consistency. The the effort level was so damn high at all times and you look at a team like memphis grizzlies and uh, i said last year that I, I feel like memphis is a team one year ahead of the Cavs in the development cycle what memphis has is a lot of depth that plays hard at all times they're not at a point where okay we have depth so we can coast throughout the game we're going to take control uh in the fourth quarter we'll turn it up and we'll close out this win that's not the way they play they play 
We have enough bodies to play hard for 48 minutes. We can go out there and battle every single possession and just be relentless and keep that competing. And, and if we want to, if we want to rest, we'll rest in the mid fourth quarter when we're up 30. It, exactly. And, and um, we, we can also rest because we can sub guys in and out and not play them in as long shifts because every single person is going to go out there and play hard. And I, I think that is the the type of basketball that the Cavs are trying to emulate. Like, uh, JB is obviously a defense first coach, but I think before defense comes effort, effort and activity. If you're going out there and you're playing hard, you are going to get your opportunities. Like uh, Kevin Love, Larry Markkinen, they are not good defenders, but they go out and they play hard and they're doing what's being asked of them. And, and Moses Brown is the same way. Like he is at this point a defensive liability, but he's going out there and he's playing hard. I mean, you look at that possession he had at the start of the game where he basically got like three, four offensive rebounds and uh, tiptoed along the baseline to save a ball and like just constant, constant activity. Like I, I really do feel like that more than defense, more than anything is the cast philosophy is we're going to bring in hard workers and we're going to outwork people. And I think that is part of the accumulative fatigue that we've seen is when guys went down, all of a sudden you're playing more minutes, playing really hard, and it's tough to sustain that if you don't have the depth. And honestly, like that can open you up to other injuries when uh, all of a sudden the injury situation is snowballing and you're playing more minutes with fewer people. It's more likely that those guys get hurt. So uh, I think depth and consistency of effort is two of the biggest things that I identify going into next year. Totally. I, I couldn't agree more. And I do want to ask about one of those effort guys, Lamar Stevens. Uh, he's been so very good as of late. Uh, I want to ask you, once Mobley and Allen are back, and assuming uh, you know, assuming the Cavs hold on to their 7 or 8 seed and are playing a couple of playing games, hopefully a playoff series, should this man be in the playoff rotation? Yes. Uh, like, I, I think Lamar is playing well enough that, like... I'm going to make you name him. Who's in, who's in the rotation? You go 9 deep, 10 deep? Um, okay. So because it, it gets hard once you start naming them. That's why I'm going to make you. So I, I think to, to simplify this rather than risk list out names, I, I think I have more confidence in him in the rotation over Jetty. Um, I, so you I, got your starting five, you got Kevin, you got Rondo. That takes you to seven. I think Lamar's the next. I, yeah, I think, I think so too. Um, well, I, I guess it wouldn't be that because you also have to factor in Levert, whether he's starting or not, uh, that, yeah. that kind of remains to be seen. So uh, that, that gets you to eight. So your ninth man is Lamar. Yeah. My, my ninth man would be Lamar. And I, I think I would go nine deep because I, I think Lamar plays with that kind of compete level that I'm talking about. And it's nice to see that his game has evolved a little bit where he does have some juice offensively, where he's willing to take it to the basket and, uh, he's got that mid-range jumper at that block on Embiid. Embiid ended up getting the mess and getting the and one, which is painful. But that mm -hmm. block on Embiid, I was like, man, this dude is fearless. Yeah, yeah, like he's he plays really, really hard, and he took that shot over Embiid at the free throw line in a really yep. crucial moment. Like there's there's a decisiveness to Lamar's game that I, I find really refreshing, and I, I mean there's a lot of what he's doing on the offensive end of the floor in terms of kind of consistency that I'd like to see from Isaac. Like, I, I really do think that like the nights where Isaac Okoro is going out there and he's being assertive and he's taking shots, the Cavs are a better basketball team. Like it, it, we know he makes an impact, but he's almost in that Garland spot where the nights where he's being assertive and he's taking advantage of the opportunities and he's seeing the game better. Um, it takes the Cavs to another level, but there's other nights where it feels like he's trying to not rock the boat and he's trying to play good team basketball. And some of that deference he's showing to other teammates is putting them in a tougher position because reality is when they are shorthanded, you need a little bit more of Isaac Okoro. Yeah. Uh, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I, I think that, Ultimately, Stevens has earned his minutes, and you're right, Isaac. Isaac continues to be a little maddening, Justin. I, I mean, let's put it this way. Lamar has had seven games where he's had double-digit field goal attempts. Isaac's had six, and Okoro's been a more constant presence in this rotation, and like th that's plays one 30, of He plays 30, uh, 30 minutes a game. Lamar plays... 
Drum roll. 16. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I'm sure if you asked Isaac, he'd be the first to admit, yeah, I, like I, I need to be a little more active with, with the cuts. I, I need to find my spots. I need to push the ball in transition. And against the Knicks, he was a big, big part of that win. Like he was playing very good defense. He was very assertive on the offensive end of the floor. And I, I, I really do feel like we've learned a little bit with the Darius experience where uh, we had questions like, okay, he's now a 14 and five guy, but he's passing up so many open opportunities. He's leaving a lot on the table. And the question was, is it a mentality thing? Is that something you can ever change? And I think Isaac, like Darius, is someone that really kind of prioritizes team basketball and doing the right things. And I'm hopeful that as the skill set develops, that he is going to be more assertive and have more confidence in what he's doing on the basketball court. But I, I mean, it's one of those situations where Isaac being on a normal developmental curve, when some of these other guys are ahead of schedule, it stands out a little bit more, right? which I don't think you necessarily need to write them off on the long term or anything along those lines. But the reality is, especially when they're shorthanded, they need more from him more consistently. Yeah, um, I, I think that's fair to say. I mean, and the thing that's really makes it tough is you don't want to take him off the floor yeah. um, because of his value defensively. Um, and the Frank, way he, frankly, you can't. Like you yeah, can't. Like I he mean, he still has a significant impact in the Cavs rotation. Yeah, um, and like I think that you know the Cavs don't have anyone else they can throw at a guy like Tyrese Maxey. And just say go shut his water off, make him have a hard, hard, hard night. Yeah. Um. So like again, I just want to continue to see the volume go up. He just like I feel like it almost has to be a message from JB that just says, "Hey, no more two field goal nights." Yeah. Like if if you're open, you need to shoot. Like don't don't make bad plays, obviously, but like like every time you know like every time you you don't do this, we're gonna have to have a talk. Mm-hmm. Um. Because there are, you know, there are plays he's making where the read feels pretty good. You know, he he, he can make. He's just a little too invisible right now. Yep. Uh, I uh, especially in that Philly game, he got to the line six times, which was encouraging. Um, I do feel like his free throw rate has. Uh, this is not. Uh, this is not sourced at all. I do feel like his free throw rate has just been anecdotally trickling up just a smidge. Yeah. Twenty eight percent last year, thirty six percent this year. Um. But yeah, I, I just think ultimately we do want to continue to see him grow that side of the ball because it's too inconsistent right now. And it's just hard to win games against great teams when you're when one of your starters plays 30 minutes and takes two shots. Yep. Yep. And I totally agree. Like it's one of those situations where like you I compared it before to Tristan Thompson, right? Where if you're asking him to be part of a team that has kind of the catalyst, the the guys that are going out there and making the plays and the offense is humming, he fills in the gaps perfectly. He's such an intelligent player. He brings something to the table that the Cavs don't have, which is really, really high and on ball defense, especially when it comes to defending guards. He's a much better defender of guards than Lamar is. Lamar, I, I think his strength lies more with defending forwards and, and larger players. Um, but, you just that you want to see that growth from him. And maybe that's something that's going to take more work in the off season. This is going to be the the first kind of real normal off season that they've had. Um, and there's a lot of film. I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of things that the coaching staff is going to point to and opportunities and film that he kind of left on the table. And that's why it's so important to be playing in these games where Every single game matters, and you're playing a lot of teams that are fighting for positioning as well. Defenses are going to play you differently than they did in April and May of last year, where the Cavs were out of it. No one was game planning for the Cavs, and it's just kind of a free-for-all. We're learning what good teams like Philly, like Atlanta, what Dallas does to an Isaac Okoro when there's no other options on the floor. And I think that that's going to be really instructive and important for his development in the summer. Yeah, I, I totally with you. And uh, his story is not written. I think a lot of people think it is. Yeah. Um, he, he's a and, couple months older than Mobley. Like, yeah, and like I just, I just see, I see enough to keep me interested for sure. Um, I think what he is now is pretty fine and pretty solid. Um, 
uh, especially against, you know, for as a regular season player. But like, you know, we've seen players like him get attacked um, by defensive game plans mm-hmm. um, in the postseason where they go, okay, we're going to just completely ignore this guy. Yeah. Like, if we kind of ignore him in the regular season, we're going to like completely overload the off, off side of the floor and see if he can beat us. Yep. yep. And that's going to be a challenge for him. So I'm really excited. I do think before we go, though, we have to talk about a roster move the Cavs made, Justin. Yeah, RJ Nemhard uh, got the final roster spot. That was something we definitely saw coming, I right? Yeah, I don't think either of us at any point considered that he would be the guy. No, and both of us liked him, uh, his brief kind of stint with the Cavs, but given the fact that he's been playing with the Cleveland Charge for the majority of this year, uh, this was not something I saw coming. Now, uh, he had great timing uh, with a 42-point performance right after uh, the contract news broke. Uh, I think he had like 42 points, 12 rebounds, and 6 assists, if I'm remembering correctly. Like, that's uh, that's a pretty awesome stuff, um, but definitely a big surprise. And obviously, I don't have any inside information on, on why that decision was made. Uh, the Cavs have done a really good job, I think, over the years, utilizing the, the G League for development and keeping guys there. Like Dean Wade played primarily in the G League kind of his first year, and uh, they, they really valued getting him the rep so that he was ready to contribute. And you have to assume that it's a very similar situation with RJ Namhard, where I, I guess reality is, like, I... I think what Brandon Goodwin brings to the table is nice. Uh, I, I think he's given them a lift at times. But when you're talking about playoff basketball, he, he's not in my rotation. Moses Brown isn't in my rotation. And if the Cavs are injured to a point where they need one of those guys in the rotation, you're not going to be learning much from having them in the game. Like, it's it, that's all she wrote. Like, if Jared Allen and Evan Mobley are out in the playoffs, we're not being competitive like I, I just can't see it um so I, I kind of understand it from that standpoint but we'll need to see how this plays out like this this definitely was a surprise move and uh, I'm I'm interested to see how they kind of navigate the the contract situations I, I like giving Moses Brown a, a two-way spot I, I think he's a really interesting development project for them uh so so we'll see how this plays out yeah, it's just it's just interesting you know I thought I think we both really I mean we have certainly seen more from from Goodwin and Brown on the Cleveland Cavaliers basketball court in a Cleveland Cavaliers uniform than we've seen from Nimhard. And they have several wings that they've chosen to play ahead of Nimhard. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, e- even Windler who is, you know, the the who has obviously been in the doghouse more than he's not been, uh, is certainly been ahead of Nimhard in the rotation. So, it's it's surprising. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm interested to see what the cat, cause like the reality is it, we don't even have much to react off of yeah. just because we've barely seen the guy play basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the body. I like the, I like the way he reads the game, uh, and pick and roll. The jump shot is not there at all right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and Which it is might probably be a, why he was in the G league. Uh, you, you look and he was taking over five threes a game. And I, I think some of that is you're not going to get those reps playing with the Cavs. So, go out there and fire away, take the open shots and let's see if we can develop that aspect of your game. Because I like the impression I get with RJ Nemhart is he's someone that does bring a lot of things to the table. It, the jumper is the swing thing, right? Like if the jumper starts falling, okay, now you've got a big guard that can do some playmaking that plays defense and is somewhat explosive add the jumper and all of a sudden you have yourself a player and you you look at the G League stats 22 games he averaged 24.1 points uh eight almost eight rebounds and five assists like that that's a big guard that can do a lot of things so uh you would hope that with the Cavs development staff that they can develop the jump shot but as you said like we don't have a lot to go on uh, it, I, it, it to me my read is that they're seeing a guy they they know they're a team that's short on prototypical NBA wings Mm -hmm. and are like, yeah, I think like, I think they're probably saying, Hey, we can find backup centers on the market or third string centers on the market. Uh, And we even talked about in this last spot, uh, we've talked about a lot of guys who we think could be a really good fit there Mm -hmm. uh, at the backup five. Hey, we can find backup ones, you know, 
my guy, Howell Neto, is always available for the minimum, <laughs> and there's always a lot of good players that are available for the minimum, but it's really hard to find decent wings. So maybe Nimhart isn't a decent wing right now, but a couple years in our program, we get him with uh, with Coach Olsen, teach him how to shoot shoot a little bit, and he might be that kind of guy. So yeah. I, I think that that's my read on it, is like, hey, if we're going to take a flyer on anybody, we're going to be taking a flyer on the wing with a slightly shaky jumper. Yep. And, and for me, I don't necessarily understand it, but I think the Cavs have kind of earned the benefit of the doubt when it comes to finding G League guys or finding guys on the 10 days or undrafted players. Like when you look at Wade, you look at Steven, you find Brandon Goodwin off the scrap, you, you bring in Moses Brown. Like it, it's just player after player that they seem to bring in. So you kind of have to give them the benefit of the doubt. Some of these gambles are going to work. Some of them aren't. We'll see which category this falls into, but uh, I have to imagine that they still are maintaining a lot of flexibility that if they do need to wave Nemhard and they go in a different direction, like uh, that's not going to be an issue. So we'll, we'll see how this plays out, but yeah, I, I don't have a lot of takes when it comes to RJ Nemhard because I ju- just honestly haven't seen him play and I can filibuster and I can read off the stats and all that sort of thing. But at the end of the day, just not a player that I, I'm very aware of. Nope. Yeah, uh, and that goes to tell you something because we're pretty aware of most Cavaliers. So we'll <laughs> yes, we'll, we we'll see how it goes. And I'm excited to learn more about the guy. Me too, man. And I'm I'm a little excited, but a little nervous for this game against Orlando. I know they're not playing for much. You I know the Cavs are playing a you lot don't better. Don't like must wins with down your two best players yeah. or two of your three best players. Sorry, especially because things can get so weird in a one game scenario, which you sure know, like, can. It's, That's why I'm afraid of the plan, but we're there. we're heading there. Let's go. Frankly, I'm I'm on the other side of the plan because I I think if they're playing Atlanta or they're playing Brooklyn, I think the NBA media at large is going to be expecting the Cavs to lose. I I think that they can go out and they can be really competitive. And if you go out there and you win that game, uh, and you upset one of those teams recency bias is going to kick in like that's going to be a lot of fun and that's what we are going to remember as the definitive moment of this season so we'll we'll see how it goes absolutely justin my internet just died in the most inopportune time but we're I, back I baby I it keeps that. happening man it keeps <laughs> happening i really got i gotta to talk to my 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 dear friends at spectrum and see if see if we can't get someone investigating this because i can't keep catching these owls on the Cavs official youtube channel Tough scene, my friend. Very, very tough scene. But I'm going to take that as a sign that we need to wrap this thing up. So big thanks to everyone that's tuning in live on YouTube. Uh, we really appreciate your support. Make sure you like and subscribe. Click the notification bell so you know when we're going live. If you're listening via podcast, leave a rating, leave a review, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, and help cook those books. If you want to be part of the Chase Down's exclusive Discord chat, send a screenshot of that review to chasedownpod at gmail.com. However you choose to support us, we really do appreciate it. Make sure you guys are staying safe in there. And until next time, go Cavs. I can't believe I'm in there. Out there. Out there in there, you know, in in the world, Carter. In the world. I'll take the blame. I rattled you. Bye, everybody. Go Cavs.